With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, I'm Greg Jenner. I'm the host of You're Dead to Me, and we are back for Series 5. Yes, it's the comedy show that takes history seriously. And on this series, get ready to hear about Frederick the Great of Prussia with Stephen Fry, no less. I'm just thrilled at this history lesson. Or learn a fair old amount, that's a pharaoh joke, about ancient Egyptian queen Hatshepsut with Kima Bob. What a vibe. And take a stitch in time as we discuss the Bayer Tapestry with Lou Sanders. Oh, I'm a gog. Plus we have many other lovely historical subjects where we're joined by top historians. That's You're Dead to Me with new episodes every Friday. Johnny good, isn't it? Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a very special edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I've got Alex, but Alex isn't really that exciting. But I have got a special guest. I've got Janan Ganesh. Janan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Long time listener, first time participant. We're excited to have you on. Uh, Janan has um, a, a column in the FT, which is absolutely um, excellent and puts my writing to shame. Um, but can his words put me to shame? That's the big question today, because there's a lot to debate. So instead of going deep on the Europa League win, which I feel is quite pointless heading into Sunday, uh, we wanted to do a little bit of a, um, a, a session on 
where the club are, where we're going, what needs to be fixed, what's going well, what's going badly. Because I think, you know, we've had a bad run of games. You know, there's there's the Arteta out brigade that's, um, that's already started. And I think most people don't quite feel that, but there's a lot of things that are going wrong. There's some things that are going right. And we want to get into the, into the mixer um, of that today. So I'm hoping that you guys are going to um, put this right and um, we're going to set this up well. So firstly, uh, Jan M, I want to get your top line opinions on um, the Mikel Arteta uh, start to the season. Like, how, how, how do you feel? Pretty down about it. Um, it's not so much the league position because it's quite a compressed league. So even if you're 14th, you're only five points away from being a Champions League contender. Um, so that can change. The actual league position can change within a two or three games. It's more losing one in two games. We've played 10 and lost five. Um, and deservedly lost quite a lot of those games. So you extrapolate forward, and it's just the, 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 the accumulation of defeats that bothers me more than the, the fact that we're 14th, which everyone seems to quote, even though it's kind of meaningless. The other thing that worries me on a kind of performance level is that really the lesson of the Emery era was underlying metrics matter. So even when we went on that 22-game unbeaten run with Emery in the first half of 2018-19, People who were kind of much smarter than I was were able to say, this is not sustainable. Look at the underlying XG, underlying XGA, and we're going to end up losing games. And that, that's what happened in the second half of the season. And the collapse in the underlying metrics is what worries me about this season. Until very recently, Arteta had basically made us the best defensive team in the country. And he'd done that in about seven or eight months. And those underlying defensive metrics have begun to tail off a little bit. Hence, we are conceding goals and losing games. And then, of course, the, the attacking metrics are also suffering. So I, I, my big nightmare is that we're going to go through what happened under Emery, which is an initial burst of improvement, as much to do with just a new face in charge as anything else. And then the reality kicks in, which is that it's still a diabolical squad, completely uh, imbalanced and really short of a massive degree of investment, even a very good manager would fail to improve it. And we don't even know yet if Arteta is a very good manager. Alex, you've been um, very up and down on Arteta. You were in the fan club, then you handed in your membership card. Um, where, do, where do you stand on, you know, what is a, a decent sample size of games so far this season? We're like 17, 18 games in. Like, what are your, what are your thoughts heading into a crunch month for um, the future of Arsenal? No, I'm still in the fan club. I still, I've still got at least one foot in the door, I think. Um, I agree. I think the thing that worries me the most is, first of all, I agree the underlying metrics have not been good. And I probably, along with others, suffered from a bit of delusion that, you know, things were perhaps not better than they perhaps were sort of fundamentally. I think there's still enough. I'm seeing, seeing enough from him. I think in terms of the sort of unity around the club, the motivations of the, the players, the, the things he's saying generally about sort of where the team is, where he he's he's more candid and more, I feel more candid, and more honest, and I think clearer on the challenges that we face and say Emery or Wenger was. So that I think there's still enough there for me to want him to sort of succeed and think that he will. And I think the other thing with that is there's a sort of like a paucity in terms of alternative options that we could bring in at this point that would, would probably do any better. I think that the big concern for me um, is, is probably 
him maybe starting to believe his own hype a bit. And I think that that's sort of borne out by the faith he's put in players that didn't deserve that that faith. So I think that, you know, the obvious ones are Xhaka, um, sort of, he, he did a job and he got him up to a standard, but it, it was obvious Xhaka's going to struggle in a more attacking formation. So proceeding with a, you know, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 or whatever it is with Xhaka seemed like folly. Um, and then I think you can look at decisions around, you know, offering Mustafi a contract extension, not selling Lacazette if, if we did indeed have the opportunity, I think are really worrying. And I, I know the other sort of um, example everyone holds up is William. Um, I, perhaps I'm sort of controversially, I'm, I'm still of the belief that he can serve some purpose this season. I still don't believe he's fallen that far over, over the summer for him to be completely useless. So I was, I'm sort of reserving judgment on that one. But I, th- I think basically to sum up, I, I think he's, I'm, I'm still sort of in the Arteta camp. I think he can do it. Um, I'm just a bit worried by the, the faith he's put in some of those sort of failing players. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think the um, I think the interesting there are some interesting parallels that you can draw with um, with Unai Emery, like strong start, um, spent a fair amount of money in the transfer window, maybe uh, misplaced those resources and invested in players that aren't going to take us to the next level. But the thing that I wa- that I wasn't expecting, and, and Jenna, you work in media. Um, is that there's been a collapse on the pitch, but there's also been um, a bit of a collapse off the pitch this week. Um, I wanted to get your take on um, some of the interviews that have happened um, and, you know, like who you draw parallels to it, like in regards to how he's behaving, because it initially sounded like Mikel Arteta was a very much keep everything behind closed doors. He won't comment on anything, but like, as, as we all know, uh, pressure is what shows who that you know the, the true coach that you are. And he went on the zone this week, and he he was quite frank. He said he was six players away from being able to challenge. Um, I wanted to get your take on like what what, what do you think? Um, what do you think of the like Mikel Arteta in the press? Is this a good a good move? Is it a Jose move, or is it uh, a cause for concern that he's feeling the pressure? Yeah, there, there have been quite a few contentious quotes from him recently. The, the, the thing about five or six players did not bother me. And I saw online that it bothered a lot of people. And a lot of people said, well, he's immediately lost the squad now because he's, he's notified unofficially half of the starting 11 that they're not good enough. And I don't think that's, that's really the case. First of all, he didn't name any specific individuals as to you know, who isn't good enough. And B, it's screamingly obvious that in order for us to be back in the Champions League, let alone competing for the title, we're going to have to change roughly five or six players. So I don't think that was particularly shocking. It's more the way he describes performances. So after one of the recent defeats, I think it was one where the one where Pepe got sent off, he seemed to imply that we were basically solid. This was against Leeds. We were basically good until Pepe got, got sent off and undid all of our good work. And that was not true. We weren't any good. And then after the most recent defeat, he said, well, we put in 36 crosses, and if we keep doing that, we'll end up scoring just out of a law of averages. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's quite a, that's an analytic comment about the performance, and it's one that would conflict with most people's view, which is that we shouldn't be relying on, on crosses uh, to that extent. And so it's, it's, it's his analysis of in-game situations 
and the way he describes them afterwards that worries me far more than the big statements about the direction of the club, how much change needs to happen, because all of that stuff seems pretty sensible. Um, I do get the sense he does feel pressure. And because it's his first job, he can be a little bit brittle in, in, in interviews after a defeat. And presumably that improves over time. But uh, it would worry me far more if his qualitative judgment of performances uh, is as they seem to be when he describes them in front of a journalist. We, we can always assume, by the way, that he's just giving out a line. He has to say something good about the performance and then uh, behind closed doors, he's much more critical and realistic. But if there's a correlation between what he says in public and how he interprets our games in private, uh, that would worry me quite a bit. Do you think that there is anything that we can draw from the game last night? We're recording this on a Friday. Argue, I, 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 that was the best performance that we've seen of the year. Do you think that um, there's been a reaction behind the scenes and maybe certain players have been invited back into the starting eleven? Do you think that that was part of the six players? Yeah, well, there, there are indications that uh, there was some kind of argument on the training ground, a constructive argument. And it reminds me a little bit of, if you remember the double season, 97-98, we did pretty oh, yeah. badly first third, first half of that season. We lose 3-1 to Blackburn in December, which I can remember vividly. And then in the training ground at Colney, there was that stand-up row between, I think, Adams, Bowles and, and the rest of the defence versus Vieira Petit. And the defence was saying, look, you need to just become defensive midfielders and protect us a bit more. And we went on to completely walk the league in the second half of the season. It rem- I hope it turns out to be something, you know, 5% as good as that, a kind of constructive agreement, constructive argument behind the scenes. Um, but the, for me, the most encouraging thing about the, the rapid Vienna game was Ainsley Maitland-Niles, in that you finally had a physically dynamic centre midfielder who could run back and forth, make covering runs towards his own goal. And the contrast with Ceballos and Xhaka, who basically, you know, they run like they're older than Joe Biden. Uh, the, con- the contrast it was hugely encouraging to me. And I wonder whether Ainsley Maitland-Niles will eventually get his dream of at least a semi-regular place in the centre of midfield. Not because he's brilliant, but because we literally don't have any other athletes there apart from maybe Moel Neni. Hmm. And on um, uh, Maitland-Niles, it wasn't even just the physicality that was impressive yesterday. He kind of took a bit of that swagger that he has when he steps up for a penalty with some of the one-touch passing. I mean, I, I, I don't know whether I've just been blinded to it because he normally, you know, played a lot under Emery. But the, the, the one-touch passing that he was making, it was ambitious. It was, um, you know, pushing the team forward. I mean, if he yeah, can bring that to the Premier League, that's something we don't have. Yeah, he's, he's technically very good. And, you know, his big breakthrough performance was against, was in midfield against United at, o, at OT in spring of 2017. And, and it's the game where Pogba comes up to him afterwards and sort of congratulates him on his performance. So he emerges as a midfielder. I, I don't think long-term he's going to be a Premier League first-choice midfielder. But while we've got very limited options for the next six months, maybe the next season and a half, until we can totally fix centre midfield, he's more technical. He's technically good enough, and he's more physical uh, than Xhaka uh, or Ceballos or Torreira, who's on loan anyway. And so he, I think he's, the, he's one of the least worst options for that midfield role. And then in the summer, we can address the position properly. I, I just agree with, I think that was the thing that was, you know, if something is, Arteta is going to be criticised for, it's like if you're going to move from your sort of defensively, 
structured formation to one that's more attacking, that requires more mobility in midfield. It just seems obvious that Sabias and Jacker aren't, aren't cut out for that. And we've known that. For, we've got evident proof points for that anyway. So it, it was kind of disappointing that he hasn't been considered sooner um, in midfield. I think especially against Wolves, he would have been... Not even making the squad at times, which is... Yeah. Um... Well, I'd love to know what's going on there because I thought they had sort of patched things up. There's been another four. From from what I from what I, I I hear the little rumblings is um there there are there are attitude problems like at a senior level the that you that you wouldn't expect but also there are problems with the kids coming through like and I think the it, it feels like Maitland Niles is uh, like he's he's got a he's got a cheeky cheeky grin he's got a, like that that interview was not it was not PC by any stretch right it was it was laser focused what he was saying right and he said it with a smile and he knew exactly what he was doing but he was right wasn't he about legs bit of legs bit of (laughs) bit of dynamic i think i think this is why i play so it's why fans quite like ainsley make the miles he's a he's a little bit of a a rebel without being actively disruptive um and so that quote about midfield having legs in midfield was very obviously a dig at one or, or both of uh Jacqueline and Zabayos. And he's entitled to say it because for years we've been completely overrun in centre midfield. Um, it costs us more and more each season because the rest of the league becomes more athletic. Um, and so we, we do need to, I mean, people have talked about Bissouma as a potential signing, but that kind of player who gives us a, the option of, you know, box to box sprints repeated over 90 minutes um, is, is kind of precious in this league. And we, we've got the closest thing we have to it is Moel Nenny, who's technically just not very good, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I think potentially is quite good technically. Mm. So do you... Um, to, uh, the, the most disappointing thing that I saw in the squad over the last few weeks was... Uh, Xhaka was not bad last season. He got, you know, he got a rebirth under Mikel Arteta. Ceballos came in, you know, was brought in from the cold. Question marks over Danny Ceballos because I don't think he's he's been particularly well behaved. Like having fights with David Luiz, you know, um, and the Eddie and Kessia stuff doesn't speak to somebody that's um, too sharp. But what was the most disappointing thing about this season is um, Moel Nini and Thomas Partey look like the first choice centre midfielders. Do you is it incorrect of me to analyse that Granite Xhaka and Ceballos are sulking about the demotion? Do you think that the uh, Mo and Thomas out of the starting eleven? Do you think that those terrible performances in midfield? Do you think there's a slight sort of downing of tools to show who's boss? Do you think that's a character thing, or do you just think they just got exposed in a more attacking unit? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I've, I've always thought that Xhaka, and I don't rate him as a player, but he is professional, and mm. even when he's asked to play essentially left back or left centre back, he kind of does it and does it reasonably well. So I'd be surprised if he was throwing a, uh, a sort of hissy fit about it. Ceballos, I know less about as a, as a, as a character because he hasn't been here as long. I think it's more the second of your scenarios, actually, that they've, just, it's be, they've been exposed physically in a very physical league. We know we've got not brilliant options there, but some options there in the form of Mo and AZ Maitland-Niles, and now Thomas Partey, of course. And so they're just being slowly phased out, or at least Jacques was being slowly phased out. Um, I don't think it's any any darker or more sinister than than that. The question is, when we have maximum options available, uh, do we have any creativity? 
and I'm not sure we do really. I don't think Thomas Partey is a final pass maker uh, who's brilliant in the final third. He gets the ball to the final third. But eventually we're going to need that number eight, maybe two number eights, like City, who yeah. can make those passes. And um, that's, there are problems that we can only fix through the transfer window. And that's either January or it's next summer. Um, so we're, well, I don't think we're going anywhere until we, we get that number eight position fixed. One thing... Sorry, Alex. There you go. The one thing party can do is he can get the ball to the front players quicker, which at least means they can get it in some space. So, yeah, it's, it's not the sort of panacea, but it, it's better than what we have. And I, I think I I agree, to be honest. I was thinking about this before. It's like, it doesn't matter how good Xhaka can try as much as he wants. It's not going to make him quicker. Like he, like, he physically can't do any better. So that's why I feel it's a bit, you know, I've, I've sort of got my frustrations with the player, but... He can only do what he can do, and he, he you know, he can't do d- deliver much more than that. So I think everything we've seen from him, I think today, I mean, I guess Bar sort of telling the fans to fuck off. <laughs> um, That's the finest moment. Wasn't it Alex? Wasn't it Alex who pointed out that uh, his contract doesn't run out until twenty twenty three? Yeah, when did that happen? I have when no idea. I don't know who renewed him, but he, he must have had at least a million love dishing out a contract, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a long term, long long term deal. In, oh but at least, but at least there are there's a market for uh, for a granite, right? Yeah. I don't think he earns a, a stunning amount of money. And yeah. to Berlin, we're in for him at twenty four million. Well, I don't know. I keep reading online that no one who understands football fails to rate Xhaka, and if you don't like him, he's you know you, you need to take up another sport. But strangely, none of the big European clubs have come in for him in recent seasons. I, w- I wonder what's going on there. It t- tends to be <laughs> yeah. t- 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 tends to be here to Berlin and uh, and teams at that that tier. But uh, I'm sure the, the world scouts are just missing something obvious. You know? Yeah, uh, you know, there, there's definitely a, there's definitely a trend online. The kids coming through make those comp videos, and Jacka has a beautiful comp video. You can, yeah. like, even even after the spreadsheet merchants were out after the Leeds performance saying, look, you've got 90% pass completion rate. It's like, yeah. there's, oh, there's an eye test in football and it's still important. Yeah. And it's, it's an eye test that all the clubs in Europe seem to agree on. on, on <laughs> it was the same with Wenger as well, though, wasn't it? You wait, he'll be at Barcelona. Yeah, and, and, and everyone else. I think that's the bigger crime is that, yeah, the posted dreadful performances like Jack had 94% pass completion three recoveries like yeah but if you actually watch the game with your eyes you'll see most of those passes were back to the keeper so it's kind of meaningless so a little bit a little bit of a pivot um, but still staying on the theme of um, fan pressure uh, Unai Emery uh, bombed Ozil and he bombed Aaron Ramsey and then everything went to shit and then the fans called for the return of those two players he returned the players and he never really recovered as a manager and uh, Mikel Arteta has um, had a, a different challenge. He tried to shithouse teams like he did last season um, in, you know, th- three important big games that we lost. And then we tanked against Aston Villa. And then he binned the, the shithousing approach. But now we're trying to play a more attacking game. We're not the best defensive team in the Premier League. So my question is, now we've had a small sample of what it is to play um, with four at the back and have a, a more attacking approach. Are, are we going to continue playing to what the fans want to see and failing? Or is there a case to be made that let's just do, let's do the shithousing thing until we get the, the number rates that we need to move the system forward? What do you think? 
Alex, do you want to take that? Yeah, man. Um, uh, I mean, I think it's, it, well, it's like I said, it's like a halfway house, isn't it? I think you like it's, it's blatantly obvious we can't play a back four with Xhaka and Sabahis in midfield, but I think we probably could play one with some sort of reasonable results with, certainly with Party and maybe with Elneny as well. I think the jury's still out on him. So I think, you know, the, it really depends on when Party is back, but I think that's, I don't know. I kind of feel like he, um, Arteta, the, the thing that disappointed me is it feel, feels like he gave into fan pressure a bit too early and he should have sort of set to his guns with a 3-4-3 because he didn't, he didn't have the players. He didn't have party available. And I don't think in, until he's in the team, you can even really countenance it. That formation switch. Yeah. I'd, I'd be inclined to, to shithouse for the rest of the season at least. <laughs> Because it was it was it was a completely coherent model, you know. When you when you did the eye test and you looked at Arsenal until a few weeks ago, even if we were never particularly good to watch, it was a coherent model. It made sense, and we were getting some results from it. Um, and as Alex says, we don't have the players in midfield, especially to, to do another formation. So I would stick with it until next summer, at least, when we can revise the squad a bit. Um, and by the way, if, if our, our destiny long term is to become a defensive shithousing team. I'm completely fine with it. You know, I'm just about <laughs> old enough to, to remember the world before Arsene Wenger, and that was our identity. And we won you know, two league titles in three years. We won one of our only two European trophies as a club using that kind of model. Um, the football was better than some people remember it under, under Graham, you know, the top scorers in two out of three seasons, players like Merce and Roadcastle. I would have no problem with going back to that as our core identity as a club if that's essentially who Arteta is as a manager. But the worst thing, I agree with Alex here, is changing, especially changing under media pressure or fan pressure, because mm-hmm. that's what killed um, Emery in the end. You know, he ended up with 12 different tactical models in a period of 18 months, and players didn't know what they were doing. I mean, that famous incident when Iwobi walks into the pitch as a substitute and seems to ask a fellow player what formation we're playing, because it had changed so often within the game. That cannot happen again. So if you... My preference, given the limited options, is that Arteta goes to 3-4-3 and sticks with it until he's completely confident with our midfield options and then we can become more expansive. And it's quite interesting how wrong the fans have been in general. Obama Ying through the middle looked a complete disaster um, mm. the last two games because he seems to be refusing to press because the pressing came back last night when we had the players, uh, the players to do it. Nicolas Pepe gets sent off against Leeds, unprovoked headbutt, and has looked pretty bad overall, but people think that he's the solution. Joe Willock has not been the solution. And then you watched um, Lacazette last night, and I know that Lacazette has not been great, but he does the work in that system. Mm-hmm. And like yesterday, playing as kind of a, a 10, he looked pretty decent. So I wonder mm-hmm. whether there will be a return to form on Sunday, because I don't think we can play an expansive game of football against Mourinho especially with Son and Kane in the form that they're in. I hope we don't. I kind of think actually Lacazette, and I'm definitely not a fan of his, but he is actually really suited for that central striker role in the 3-4-3 because it's the, the least glamorous role going. It is just leading the press, closing off the passing channels, you know, feeding on scraps, which he's not very good at, but it, it, it provides structure to the rest of the team. So in a, in a way, if, if that is going to be the formation we're going to use for the rest of the season, then I'd much prefer him in that role 
with Aubameyang sort of coming in for the left because that that's proved more successful than um, Aubameyang through the middle where he does kind of look lost. Um, I have to admit, I didn't see the game last night, so I'll have to take your word for it that Lacazette was uh, sort of reborn as a, a dynamo. Well, he scored, which was a start, <laughs> right? But he's but it's it's he's he played. It, um, I've kind of felt that when he's tried to play sort of a ten role in the past, it's it, it's it's felt a little bit optional. But yesterday, it seemed a lot more specific to the game, and I know that it's not against a good team. But we were not good against Rapid Vienna in the first game. They kind of pushed, shoved us around. They boxed us in. Like last night was pure dominance, start to finish. And Lacazette was almost unplayable at times. But everything last night was about moving the ball forwards. And I I, I think one of my critiques of um, Arteta, when Klopp started his first season at Liverpool, they weren't great. They finished eighth but you got the occasional game where Liverpool absolutely destroyed teams. And we haven't had a destruction performance ever since Arteta's arrived. And you've been waiting to see, well, what, what's the glimpse into the future? Mm. I felt like last night's game was a glimpse into the future in, in a safe space that is the Europa League. But it was a glimpse into the future and it was quite exciting. It was nice to watch. There was a lot of different sort of combination play. So, um, but, I, but obviously slap back to reality on uh, on Sunday because we're not going to be able to play like that against um, Mourinho. Um, Janine, you, you're not... I don't, I don't think you're overly impressed with the generational coach that is um, is Mikel Arteta uh, because maybe he hasn't lived up to the promise. But where, where, where are you seeing positive signs that perhaps we haven't under um, Wenger, Emery and Freddie Lundberg in the past? Where do you, where do you draw the energy to get out of bed to watch Arsenal play at seven in the morning. It's, it's just the, um, it's the vibes secondhand reported admittedly from the training ground. Everything you hear from Colney uh, online from reporters, from Lee Dixon, uh, who still kind of is well connected there is kind of staggeringly positive. You know, the players are all engaged. They all like him. They find themselves stimulated by the training sessions. Kieran Tierney has said maybe twice in recent months how much he's getting out of the, the level of bespoke coaching that Arteta provides. And all of that stuff, you have to assume, pays off in the end. It might take another year. But you're getting reports about backroom training that you did not get under Emery. And you, you didn't really get under late period Wenger when some of the players were having to kind of almost press for a bit more... Um, tactical rigour when it came to the coaching. So that stuff hopefully does pay off. The other thing that's encouraging is that individual players are, or at least were, improving. So he made Mustafi a viable player. And that, yeah, that, that, tailed, that, big. that tailed off this season. But um, there are individual instances of players who were uh, integrated into the team and improved you know, quite a fair bit. The, the thing that worries me is it's sort of... If you're a club with limited resources, you've got to husband those resources very carefully. And one thing you can't do is write off as many players as he seems to write off. So at the moment, by my, my calculation, we're getting nothing from Ozil because he's excluded. We're getting nothing from Guendouzi and Torreira, who are both on loan. We're getting nothing from Saliba. I don't know what's going on in that situation. We're getting nothing from Socrates, uh, who's not an option anymore. It's essentially we're getting very little to nothing from Pepe because he plays 
uh, rarely in the Premier League anyway. That's quite a lot of money tied up in those players that we've, in many cases, actually chosen to just set aside. And while I can understand one of them, two of them, maybe three of them, all of them together at the same time, when you're not a rich club, it seems like weird management of resources. And I wonder whether, whether, was, whether there was a case to be ultra-pragmatic this year and say, I'm going to make moral compromises. I'm not going to insist on the non-negotiable stuff just to get us across the line and then later on be a bit more discriminating. But uh, that, that does make me worry. That the, the, the sheer, we've got two-thirds of a very, very good Premier League team essentially inactive. It's a good point on the, um, the non-negotiables because the, looking back on the Mesut Ozil decision, you can understand it completely. Yeah. But keep him interested. Drop him, punish him, but keep him interested because we still have no one that can think that fast. Even, a, even at 70%, Mesut Ozil was better creatively than anything that we have. And I feel like as that was a rookie move to, to completely bomb him out of the squad. Well, I think the Ozil one may have been understandable simply because other managers before Arteta were also, you know, unimpressed. Yeah, um, it's it's the accumulation of other cases. It's, I mean, the Saliba thing. I just don't understand. I can understand that he's not first choice centre back because teenagers are not first choice centre back at this level. But the degree to which he's not involved strikes me as mysterious. Um, and then when you combine it with Guendouzi, who you know, I'm not exactly sure what he did wrong, although clearly he's he's tough to manage. When you then combine it with Socrates, who's not a great defender, but I mean, is he much worse than Rob Holding? I'm not sure he is. When you combine it with uh, the Pepe situation, it's 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 the number of players that we're choosing to not use that that worries me. It's also not difficult to understand why it's a, a challenge to manage the squad because the players that he chooses not to select are big players, right? There's, I mean, there's probably half a million pounds a week of salary that he chooses not to select. And if if you've got a squad that's kind of meek enough to have Granite Jacker as a as as a leader, and then Lacazette, I mean, he's won big things in his career and he's on the periphery. Like there, you know, Socrates is a big character because he's been he's perceived as a leader. So you've got all of these people sitting on the sidelines, and I'd imagine when you're losing games. There's a bit of a there's a bit of smugness that probably doesn't go down well. So, yeah, yeah. the Socrates one's a weird one, isn't it? Because the fact he's been completely excluded suggests that it is attitudinal rather than ability based. Because he's not miles behind, yeah, you know, holding or, or anyone else. So it just seems seems strange. I think the the, the point. I, mean, I think we were talking about this before, but like, isn't this part of the the challenge basically which Emery faced as well which is like the expectation on the the new Arsenal manager after after Arsene Wenger was to first deliver short-term success but also fix the long-term problems of the club mainly the fact that the, the culture was a joke and you know lots of players were were sort of mailing it in and there were sort of no consequences for that and I don't think it's actually possible to do both at the same time with the resources we have so I think it you know is it a case of we have to take one or one or the other and manage expectations around which one it is, and I'm quite yeah. happy he wants to take the, the the sort of longer term weed out the you know the bad eggs and if he's honest about that and you know we accept we're not going to be top four for a while because of it. Yeah, I, I, I think what Alex has just said is that is basically the story of the past 
two and a half years, since summer 2018, the first post-Venga summer, we had a club message, which was all about you know, long-term development, uh, mm. promotion of youth, etc. And then a club transfer strategy, which was all about, let us get back into the Champions League ASAP. And that means buying people who are 28, 29, 30 on pretty big contracts to just you know, get us across the line and finish top four. And that's it. that explains Aubameyang, Lacazette, Socrates, uh, all this money we've chucked at experienced players is in complete contradiction to, to the idea that, no, we're aiming to be great in five years' time, which was essentially what Klopp did at Liverpool. So we've got a club transfer strategy and a club philosophy that don't reinforce each other. And that's beyond the power of the manager to fix. It's, you know, you need a, you need a technical guy at, at, at executive level who says this is the direction of the club. And if it means we're going to be pretty, pretty awful for two seasons, then we swallow that. And but it's it, not Arteta's to, you know, it's, it's not within his gift to, yeah. um, to in, impose that. It, it really is. Um, it, it's a counterintuitive strategy on so many levels as well, because we've been doing this since 2017 when we tried to chase the Champions League in Wenger's last season. And then we, we keep on doubling down on it. But the, the biggest miss for me and how you kind of know that Edu isn't particularly strategic in the way that he thinks is even if you, you one last job for the boys and we get pulled into the Champions League with a, you know one point at the end of the season, you don't have a team ready to sustain and grow into the Champions League. Like, none of, like This squad currently wouldn't succeed in the Champions League by a margin. So you spend a lot of money to get a squad of players that will be retiring in two years once you get there. And I, I, I love the um, I love the way that Red Bull run their their franchise groups um, because Nagelsmann, after getting to the semi final of the Champions League, I think he did an interview with um, Honigstein, and he said, "I would like a different profile of player to take us to the next level, but I'm not allowed." And it's yeah. like, that's how you treat a young rookie manager. Not don't promote don't promote Nagelsmann <laughs> yeah. after one good season not even a yeah, full but, season but the, the, I mean this was this was coming as soon as they made Arteta manager in the when was it August or never this happens at Arsenal for a specific reason which is that there is no football expertise at ownership level or board level and therefore whenever someone comes along who clearly knows a lot about football whether it's Wenger or Arteta's, Arteta now they are completely mesmerized and they say here are the keys to the entire club Please save us. And it's why Wenger got... The reason Wenger became so powerful was not that he was actively agitating for that power over a number of years. It was that things just fell into his control because no one else knew what they were doing and they were scared of making football decisions. So he accumulated all of that power. And it's happened to Arteta. You can just imagine Binai saying, look, I'm a, I'm a pretty good accountant and um, executive. I don't, know, I don't know what that spherical object is that they're kicking around the, the, the grass. This guy clearly knows what he's talking about to a minute detail. Let's hand over the, the strategic direction of the club to him. If there was any football, if we were buying Munich and we had generation after generation of football expertise, you know, ex-players at board level, and hopefully some, you know, even above that, we wouldn't be mesmerized by any uh, halfway intelligent football coach who comes along and we wouldn't hand over our club to them. We'd have proper separation of powers because they would trust themselves to make football decisions. So, so this, is, this pattern is going to keep recurring even after Arteta, you know, because the, we just don't have, we have purely corporate guys at the strategic level of the football club. It took us, it took well, us 15 years to escape, a, a, you know, the, the dictatorship that was Arsene Wenger. 
and Arteta's in nine months and he sniffs out a power vacuum and he jumps right in it and they say, go. And he didn't even work for it. He didn't even need to sniff it out. They were, they were all, all the more willing, all, they were totally willing to just hand it over because they don't know anything about the game and they're open about the fact that that's not their specialism. So when, when it's someone's specialism, mm. they just go all kind of gooey and, uh, you know, <laughs> g- 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 hand over the empire to them. It's so, worth bearing in mind that these Arsenal executive team were impressed by a PowerPoint presentation from Unai Emery. I mean, that says a lot. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, whatever is his faults, I don't think one of his strengths is a PowerPoint presentation. So the fact we we sign him up based on that is, you know, testament well, to that. Well, I think that's completely right. Although saying that, weirdly, Gazidis's initial tripartite system looks pretty good now, which is that, you know, yeah. the individuals he chose were completely wrong, including Emery. But the idea of having a head coach and then a sporting director, and then an executive above them both, theoretically makes sense. It's just that he chose absolutely the wrong people for those for those positions. I, I think that if I think that if Gazidis had planned to stay at Arsenal, I don't think he would have picked Emery as a coach. I think it's pretty clear after the fact that Raúl took control of that situation because I don't think the Arsenal analysts had him on the radar at all because you wouldn't know him what Arsenal needed to, to move forward. And I think that if you had, um, the problem is that if Gazidis left and it, he created a massive power vacuum, which Raul ended up filling. But I think if, if, um, if Ivan had stayed on the job, I think he would have made sure that Sven was present and uh, you know actively participating i think he would have put raul in a very specific box like he was at barcelona um and maybe he would have taken a chance on arteta because he knew that he was going to be there to sort of protect the investment for a few years but ivan gazidis leaving and and letting it all hell break loose really was um damaging interesting to see he's not doing too badly at milan now he's learned all of his all of his rookie ceo lessons at arsenal and now he's he's giving them the gold yeah, um, but I, did, I think that's a good segue into uh, like leadership at Arsenal. There's there's been the first like when when shit goes down at Arsenal, everybody leaks um, coaches uh, to the to the agents to the press. Like you get all of the good stories when, uh, when when shit hits the fan at Arsenal. One of the interesting tidbits, and I don't know the veracity of it, but um, Kike Marin saying that uh, there's been a falling out between Edu and Arteta. Like who knew? that creating dual leadership at a football level was going to cause problems. And he indicated that Arteta was the weaker one. Um, From what I understand, that is a very long way off the truth. And I suspect that you'll see uh, people uh, briefing against Edu um, over the next few months. My my question is, um, what are, how, how, how should we, uh, how do you think the club is going to approach this? Because we have seen a slow drip out of the club, of anything Gazidis did, right? Raul went after his dodgy stint at the club. Husfami, who was signing the contracts, has left. Like, is can it can Edu really survive some of the decisions that he has he's been the doctor signing the prescriptions, you know, mm. for the for yeah. the painkillers that he shouldn't be. Do we think that Edu is going to survive the season based on performance or do we just think that like these stories are always going to sort of go around after it seems to be like the go-to? Like, what do you think of the Edu situation and his performance so far? Well, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he does go. Um, I think the club 
seem to intimate that there's room for one more appointment at leadership level. And what I'm trying to work out is, does that mean you bring in, you bring in someone additional to what we have right now uh, to lessen the burden on Arteta so he essentially goes back to being head coach, we have someone else above him? Or is it we're going to replace Edu with a more dynamic, uh, football-oriented um, leadership figure? Because Edu at Brazil was basically an executive. He was a kind of organisational, logistical guy rather than a purely um, visionary football guy. So it could be either one of those models, someone to partner with Edu and Arteta or a, or a replacement with for Edu. And what intrigues me is who, who it's going to be. Because I would love, I mean, like you, I would love a, a sort of Raniak figure at the club who says, this is a five-year plan and we're going to do this. And if we're lousy for 18 months, two years, whatever, we're going to ride it out. My worry is that they're going to do something much more bland and, and conservative and just you're going to end up with a classic situation where you just end up with too many, too many chefs. Um, so Edu, Arteta, Vinay, plus someone else, and you never arrive at a kind of uh, effective team. But I, I, like you, I sense that there's, there's a, there's, there's, the arrangement we have now is not the final arrangement, and it's going to change um, probably within the next year. I think the 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 I know um, Ralph Raniuk is obviously a complete control freak, and he will want to oversee every single detail. But I think we're at a club where the details haven't been looked after. Having that sort of experience and someone that can actually manage, like he stepped in when uh, Hassenhuttle left. I think it was Hassenhuttle, um, and you know that his salary, uh, his salary demands like four and a half million a year, was the offer from Milan. You think the value that he gives that RB franchise, the technical knowledge that he has, I think there's a little bit of concern that maybe he's he's the current model for for football. I think that you guys have said this before. Who's the next version of him? Like, what are Toulouse doing at the moment? Like, is there a, you know, do we go into Lille and try and dig out one of their um, football people that's making it happen if Luis Campos is the figurehead? But the the... There's still a lack of vision at Arsenal. And I think that Vinay sitting with Edu on the lawn, cutting his balls off in front of the media, making him say that he's enjoying it while it's happening. I, I don't think that that's the sign of, I don't think that's a good sign of a healthy functioning club to literally demote someone on Arsenal TV and tell them to tell everybody that they enjoy it and that they always agree. The, the thing is, with hindsight, like I think it is easy to say that with hindsight because when things are going well, no one sort of battered an eyelid at that. It's I battered like, an eyelid. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> um, you can't put a technical director at the same level as a manager that's been in the game for nine months. It's, that's going back to Arsene Wenger days. Completely. I think, um, but the, the point about like what Arsenal need more than anything is like, given the state we're in, we do need a visionary. And especially if you, we, we probably need someone to have that Frank set out that, that sort of vision warts and all with the fans, which is, this is not, a two-year job this is a five-year recovery job so you're not going to see instant success the problem is edu and vinay saying it they don't have the track record or the pedigree like vinay is a 40-year-old accountant like this is his first big job so then them saying it doesn't have the same sort of um uh sort of gravity whereas if you had a ranyuk come in and, and sort of set out that vision i think it would be a lot easier for fans to to buy into it whether that actually happens is a, another thing of course yeah, I think that um, I think that the other consideration is you you have our the leadership at Arsenal uh, 
Arteta, one year in management. Edu, I know that he had a, a sort of technical director job when he was um, in Brazil or Corinthians, but he's new to Europe. Vinay, new to leadership. So everybody's feeling their way around the dark. And pro- like probably one of the most difficult projects in world football at the moment, right? Re- yeah. Like cutting the wage bill, bringing through the youth players. Like it does need a bit of German rigour. And yeah. um, I, I think the, the the big miss of Arteta, one of his big, big problems is he over-promised and now it looks like he's under-delivering. I think if he was honest last summer, like Arsenal should just be honest about this situation. We're not going to be a, a Champions League club anytime soon. And if he said, look, we're going to go with youth, we're going to get rid of these senior players, we're going to buy the best young players that have got one or two years left on their deal, we'll buy five, three will blow up, we're going to be the hotbed of, of young talent and we're going to have a vibrant team that when they hit 24-25 we'll get into the Champions League and then we will compete immediately because that's that's almost what Klopp did yeah. right as soon yeah. as he got in there they were competitive but but I mean to, to Alex's point when it, when Klopp was encountering short-term trouble in that first season when they finished eighth he could always say to, to the Liverpool board to the fans and to the world Trust me, because of my track record, mm. I won the Bundesliga twice with a, in a in a in a monopolistic league where basically Bayern are expected to win it. Um, when when Hasenhutl was in trouble after the nine nil um, about a year ago, he could turn around to the Southampton fans and say, "I look at my track record." Whenever managers are in trouble, they can always do that. Whereas Arteta has to say, "You have to take it on trust mm. that I'm good enough and that I've got a vision." going forward so ride with me through the short-term trouble the other thing is that i i want to know who has responsibility for the opposite signings to the ones that you described so i'm i'm with you i think we should go for players like sabozlai because even if they turn out to be slightly disappointing age-wise they're going to generate a fee when you sell them on and so it's not a disaster for the club it's a low-risk signing and the upside is gigantic but we've been doing a lot of the opposite you know willian renewing Aubameyang, Cedric, that type of, you know, they're on the back nine of the golf course when it comes to their career. They're on pretty big wages. They're displacing young players or not blocking their path. Mm. Who is driving that? Is it Edu because he's a small C conservative director? Is it Arteta because he thinks I need to hang on to this job, um, therefore I'm going to take minimal risks? Um, or is, it, or is it just because we haven't got a Sven, a Sven Mislintat anymore? So we don't even know who the names are of the dynamic young players in Europe. But for some reason, we have got this glut of 29-year-old or 28-year-old-plus footballers on pretty big contracts. And if you think it's a bad, imbalanced squad now, imagine it in three years' time when these guys are basically on crutches. And um, you know we're, we're struggling even to get to the level we are at now. So we, there needs to be a total revision of our the age strategy when it comes to our, our, our transfers. Um, and that, that can only happen if we identify where the problem is coming from. Is it head coach? Is it edu? Um, or is it just a dearth of a, a, a scout in the, in the Sven model? And the, the crazy thing about, you know, you're, you're reeling through those players' names there and you're like, where's the fucking coherence? Yeah. William Pablo Mari... Um, Thomas Partey and then Gabriel so both Gabriels so it's 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 not like we're incapable of identifying talent Gabriel has got to be one of the signings of last summer out of any Premier League club 
Um, Gabriel Martinelli looks like a phenomenal young talent, exactly the sort of specification of youth player that you want to sign. But then we're going to let ourselves down. And I, I think that Arteta most certainly drove the Williams signing. He's like a professional's professional, right? Yeah. The fans can't really see it, but everyone that's in the professional game thinks that he's a he's an awesome signing. Um, but if if it is Arteta driving that, of course he's going to want the short term players. But it, it's up to the the technical directors to say no. That's not that's not yeah. part of the plan. You're you're supposed to be a generational coach. Do some generational coaching. Turn Reese into a player, or yeah, let's find a young player that can. That's that's exactly that's exactly the relationship that theoretically was going to exist with the initial uh, Gazidis model. That Emery would go to the, the people above him and say, I want Steven and Zonzi or someone ridiculous. And they would say, no, we're not doing that. You know, we're going to be a progressive club. We're, going to, we're trying to be better in three years' time. Uh, we're not going to you know, spaff money on a, on a short-term kind of nothing player. There's no, that pushback at leadership level is what's missing. So but basically, even if Arteta had bad judgment, you can get away with it if there's someone above him saying, no, we're not doing William. Mm. We're not doing William. We might do Sabozlai. We're not doing William. And it's just because they're so mesmerized by, I keep banging on about this, they're so impressed by anyone who has serious football knowledge that they think, well, they don't need checks and balances. They don't need someone to contradict their judgment. And of course, even the best people absolutely need someone to contradict their judgment from time to time. Do you, do you think it's a, I think the, the William thing, I can understand why Arteta wants him because he's a very, you know, he, he wants to be in control as a coach and William will follow the coach's instructions to the letter. But do you think it's like an intentional thing? I mean, like with, with Arteta, but also with Emery and, and others, that there is a, an intentional thing to get a good balance of ages in the squad. And actually you need some of those more experienced sort of 29-year-old, 30-year-old players around to help bring through the academy players. Because, you know, yeah. you think back to Lichtsteiner as well. And like it's been a it's been ongoing since Wenger left that we've we've sort of intentionally sort of supported to sort out these older players. And I, I wonder if it's there's there's you know there's thinking behind it rather than just short term success, but actually in terms of curating the the younger players that are coming through. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And if you think back to Project Youth fifteen years ago, whenever it was, mm-hmm. there was a complete lack of you know we let too many. Gilberto's and Robert Perez types leave too early. And so it was an imbalanced age profile. Mm. But we, we seem to have, A, the ones we have, the older players we have, just gobble up a lot of resources. Um, so our biggest two contracts are 30 or 30 plus, you know, Aubameyang and Ozil. But also just the, the, the sheer number of them, you know, Lacazette plus Thomas Party plus Aubameyang um, plus William is four of your front six, really in the team, um, not including Socrates, not including various other players in, in other bits of the team. So I think we could, you know, we could have three maybe in the first 11, two or three. Yeah. Um, David Luiz is another, but we've, you know, we've got something like six or seven who are regularly, regularly in the first 11. And that strikes me as, as just too, too top heavy age-wise for a, a, a modern team. I wonder whether that explains partly the lack of athleticism actually. The fact that we get outrun and you know we're always second to lose balls. I wonder if it's just connected to the fact that that age profile has gone up in in recent years. It's also incredible that you know Liverpool have got James Milner, right? Yeah. The ultimate professionals, professionals, professional. 
And Ars- every single, it feels like every single one of Arsenal's senior players, they don't even, they don't even act their age. Like William running off to Dubai to have dinner with Salt Bay. Um, Obama Yang has completely dropped off um, over the yeah. last few weeks. You've got Meza Ozil, who's a social media manager. Every scene, even David Luiz, he's mentally, he's the most mentally fragile player we've got in the team. Like you shouldn't be saying about 33 year old, you'll know within the first five minutes whether it'll be a good or a bad game. Yeah, that was that was baggage that we knew about, yeah. right? Yeah. Can I just say one point on that though? The difference is like Milner is like a squad player who comes in, does you know, does twenty minutes at the end of a you know a game, or like can can fill in if someone's injured. The guys you talked about are getting played ninety minutes week in week out, and I just don't think. It, and I I kind of wonder as well, as well as like you know the issues with players and potential. I don't even know if it's attitudinal. I wonder if they're all just exhausted because they've had a month's break a lot of them are very old and they've been playing a really high intensity game for like the last 12 months and I just don't think 33 year old David Louise with the best one in the world can do that and I've actually kind of admired the fact he's still trying and I wonder if it's the same with Aubameyang that he's just exhausted by the fact he's still trying to play football at 33 no but he's still you know <laughs> like come on okay yeah I mean, athlete getting 160 grand a week uh, but, I, but I don't like I think that there's still, you know, he's probably in the in the red zone, <laughs> in Wenger's red zone, like quite, you know, quite far in there. Yeah, um, I mean, the, 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 sorry, the, the Liverpool comparison is interesting. I mean, you're right, because Milner is a pretty peripheral player. So who are their 30-somethings? Who are, who are their sort of um, experienced players in the first 11? I, I can think of you've very got, few. You've got, um, you've got the keeper... Who is a lot? You know, he's close to thirty. Um, yeah. Virgil is twenty nine, but yeah. they don't. They don't have a lot of it's quite a few. Yeah, and, and they tend to be in positions where you do have thirty year olds. You know, keepers and centre backs. I am struck. It hadn't occurred to me how young that team is. It may not be a young average age, but they've got no one in the front six who is th- who is thirty. Uh, from from what I can figure out uh, off the top of my head. And maybe that's where all the running, you know, all the dynamism, hunger comes from. Um, whereas, you know, what, what, what we've got in Willian is not just a guy who's 33 or whatever, 32, but has already won everything. You know, he's, yeah. already, he's literally got nothing else to add to his trophy cabinet at club level anyway. So I almost, I'm almost not surprised or angry that he, that he sods off to Dubai every weekend or whatever, you know? So talking like moving on to like players and and like and how we move forward as a club, I think that we've seen um, we've seen two approaches so far this year, and they tend to be like Europe and and the Premier League. But Arteta's, I I think, one of the biggest struggles that Arteta has had this year is players that he thought he was keeping in the squad because they were reliable and had that you know that extra experience to, to to see out games have not been at the races. Like Obama Yang's not scoring, Williams not contributing, Lacazette looks completely off the boil. Um, do you think the the game against Rapid Vienna is anything more than just a good run out in a shit competition, or do you think that Arteta might finally be co- you know cottoning on that getting a hundred percent out of somebody that seventy percent of a player is better than getting the the opposite with a senior player where you get. 80 percent of Obamiang. Like, do you think that there will be a 
a more of a focus on athleticism and mobility to move the club forward? Like, how do you see him approaching December? Because it's a tough month. Yeah, it is tough. Um, my my worry is is that you know he gets to observe these players up close, you know, the young guys especially. And my worry is that as fans, we generally overrate academy products, and he he might take the view that actually they're not quite as special as. Apart from maybe Saka, they're not quite as special as we tend to believe. I mean, what percentage of academy players ever become regular first-team material? It's, it's minuscule. Um, so even if they bring that extra bit of athleticism, their judgment will be worse. Their technique might not be as special as we think it is. And so he might be favouring the old guys just because, as bad as they are, uh, we could do worse with very underprepared 19, 20-year-olds um, and and as, you, as you suggest, you know, Vienna is no test. They are not. I mean, I got excited after the last Europa League game, which we won, and then we ended up losing the, the next Premier League game. So it, it really is almost uh, useless as an indicator. Alex, what do you think? How's he going to approach the next month? Are we going to see more kids, more mobility, <laughs> or are we going to um, continue the path of trying to make, make magic with the old duffers? I, I agree with Jan, and I think people tend to put too much faith in kids in, in a way it's good because you know they, they've come from the academy and you want to believe that they're going to do it but the reality is if you had a, a front six that had sort of three of our current academy like we would be worse probably than, than we are at the moment having said that I do think I mean I didn't see the game but you, I, I think Arteta knows that mobility is key and um, if he he wants to change formation so you, you'd hope that maybe swapping out Jacka for Maitland Niles as you know as one possible switch you could do um might happen. But I think the reality is December's just fucked. Like we've got, we've got so many games. So they're all gonna have to play at some point. There, there probably will be more rotation. I, I think that's good good for I think it's good for the Academy players. But I also like I said, I, I think most of our senior players are very exhausted. And you only think about the minutes that Bamiang's been put in the last eleven months in a, a really high pressing system. He probably does need to be rotated at some point. Um, so I think we will see more of them, but I think it'll be more because we don't have a choice. Um, the good news is that I think there's a lot of positivity around some of the players that are coming back into the squad. Sounds like um, Pablo Mari is a, is a player that we don't know whether he's going to be Premier League decent yet, but they tried him last time. So at least we know that you know he's not a Cedric type character but he's got a good positive personality that they want to get in the side Gabriel is going to be back um, sooner rather than later um, Cal Chambers started uh, you know he's, he's good on the ball he wasn't too bad before but not, uh, and then not, Tom, Thomas like Party is the key right Thomas Party, I think is the key to December and I think maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles and whether he can step up could be a key because Liverpool don't have a devastating midfield from a creativity, they're just efficient workhorses, right? That allow other players to do the job. So you wonder if maybe adding a little bit more mobility, retiring Jacker, maybe that could see a, a better run. Can I just say, how many, how many times do you think it is that we've been excited about the return of Callum Chambers and thinking <laughs> he's been relegated three it's, times? It's like literally, it happens like every two years we think he's going to. Was he know, not good? Was he not good before he got his injury? Yeah, I, I thought. I mean, t- I mean, technically, he is a very, very good footballer. So I saw. I remember seeing him just just after he signed mm. at the Emirates, 
and he was unbelievably good on, on the ball. And he scored that goal one season from the edge of the area, kind of curled outside, yeah. of, his, outside of his boot. He's clearly not physically up to it as a centre-back or even uh, as a full-back, too slow, too, too kind of... He's not aggressive enough. Um, and he's just another example of this insane contract management problem that we have, that he signed in August 2014 and he's still here. And it's not good for us as a club. It's not good for his career because he's clearly good enough to be a first-teamer at a slightly lower level, probably within the Premier League, as he showed at Fulham uh, last season or the season before. We've just got this habit of not cutting our losses on players. And so we end up with this squad of 700 people on um, absurd wages. And it becomes very difficult to do recruitment properly because we, you know, we just haven't got the spare cash. So and I think we'll probably end up having to use him in December because it's so congested. But the fact that he's even an option is just unhealthy for him and, and for the club. And we just, why do we do this? You know, I mean, last summer, we could have sold holding who was almost you know, looking for a house in Newcastle when we pulled the plug on the deal, could have sold Lacazette by all accounts and could have sold Maitland-Niles. And it would have generated money and it would have thinned out the squad and you know, allowed other people to emerge. Um, and we've just got this almost uh, pathological fear of letting people go in case they turn it around and become superstars. And how often does that happen? So, like, Arteta's a good salesman, and good salesmen are easily sold to. And I think Arteta, it, like, it feels like you just go into his office and say, look, I'm ready. And he's yeah. like, fuck <laughs> it, you're staying. Cancel yeah. that bid. <laughs> Love you. Um, so, if we... So, we're going to have a rough December. Um, we could... I, I think, Jan, and you said the other day that we're going to beat Spurs and then lose to Burnley. That feels like that will be the narrative of December, up and down, up and down. Um, I think most Arsenal fans are just like, get through to January and let's fucking do something um, and see if Arteta has uh, the next level when it comes to creating attack. Um, I know it's a difficult question, but we're being linked with a lot of creative players um, at the moment. Like, you've got two players. Who 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 would you... What sort of player would you be hopeful to, to bring in to see the season out this year? What would you look, be looking for? Personally, I think we'll all agree on one of them, which is a creative number eight. Um, and you know, going back in for Alwa would be would be kind of beautiful if we could do it. The other player that doesn't get mentioned as much as you think it should be mentioned is just a number nine, because we're clearly not fixed in that position. Aubameyang is kind of in, uh, in and out of there. The manager doesn't trust him as a pure nine. Lacazette, I just think, has completely dropped off a cliff as an out-and-out striker. So whether this January or in the summer, that, I would say, is almost level with creative midfielder as our biggest priority. And it will be a fascinating conversation to see whether we go for a pure goal scorer or someone who plays back to goal. Firmino. Um, yeah, exactly. We could either go for a Firmino link player or an Aguero you know, predator to, because Aubameyang is going to be gone in a couple of seasons. Um, but I would play, I would say number nine is level with creative midfielder as as the most urgent priority. Alex, where are you putting your priorities? Is it a right sided centre back? I've got enough of those. Like, I mean, I know it's it's important, but you've got to hope that 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 spot is being saved for Saliba when he does eventually come. I think yeah, d- definitely a sort of creative, whether it's an eight or a ten or someone who can pick the ball up in between the, the lines or, you know, progress it forward to um, 
to to the attack is is absolutely essential. I kind of wonder if we go for two players in that position because putting it all on I can't pronounce his name, but that slot. How do you say it? Again, you He's still very young, so I think it, to expect him to be, you know, unlock the entire team uh, is probably a bit much. So maybe if we went for him and if we get Awar as well, would be amazing. But maybe Wendier um, would would be good. Someone who's got some experience in Premier League. I think the other um, position for me is still, and again, it seems silly because we've had so many players there, but like central midfield and someone with the mobility of El Nani, who's slightly better. Um, technically on the ball, I think would um, would help a lot, and it would probably give us more options if we wanted to do you know a four three three or four two three one, which would then give us more options in terms of how we line up the attackers. Um, I think those would be my priorities in terms of who that player is, or maybe it is you know Basuma from Brighton. So imagine you had Basuma and Party screening the defence. Yeah. There's so, that's so much sort of dynamism and uh, athleticism that that could be quite exciting. Yeah. I think the um, I think the the number nine shout is 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 a big one because you know even as a basic when Arsenal fans are like imagine if we had Olivier Giroud in the setup right now like how much like Giroud and Aubameyang you would have a lot more goals this season right you'd have an actual target man and I'm wondering I'm looking at some of the clubs around Europe at the moment and I I know that buying from Scotland. Um, isn't always advisable, but they've had quite a lot of good players come down from there. Like Tierney just settled right away. And you look at Edouard, um, their striker, like Celtic are in an absolute crisis somehow at the moment. Mm. And it looked like we were going to go in for him. But just having someone with the right, the correct athletic profile, like even just as um, a basic, being able to, Having a, having a striker that can win balls like long balls and just not over the top. You watch Calvert Lewin and you see the things that he adds to that Everton attack. Like he's yeah. really a, the sort of player that we could do uh, do with right now. Yeah. So on the on the creative. Sorry, Janin, do you want to talk about the? No, line? no, no. I, I was, was Calvert Lewin is a, the the one that fascinates me. I mean, he's way out of our price range now, but until this season when he like when he took off, I think he would have been gettable. Uh, and it's uh, you know. Six foot two, can play back to goal, can win in the air. Technically, pretty good. He would have been, you'd have been very exciting at the club. I think. Yeah, and and like ideally, if you were going to go back in time, Adebayor, imagine picking him up right now. Imagine what he could do. Like just yeah. such a like had all the raw ingredients there that, that we need right now. So uh, the the creative um, the the creative position is interesting because we, like I think that we're being like heavily linked because agents are touting their their wares to us. So I want to go through a list of names and then we can give some short sharp opinions on what we think. Uh, Christian Eriksen of Inter Milan. No, if if if, uh, if we didn't have lots of other 28, 29, 30 year olds, <laughs> I'd be open to it. But it's the sheer accumulation of these of that age profile that means it would be it would be totally irrational to go for another one. I like him as a player. Yeah, same. Oh, you, you'd have to question how committed he would be to, you know, to, to winning if he came to us. I don't think he would see it as much of a challenge. He feel a little bit of a beta male as well when you're watching him. On, <laughs> like, like he, he see, for such a big player for Spurs, yeah. watching him in the changing room and that all or nothing, you're like, wow, you really do sit on the peripheral. He, kind yeah. of looked a bit, he spent most of the documentary looking a bit sort of lost and gormless. Just, yeah. Like he'd been shown a card trick he didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, let's, 
Uh, Buendia. Buendia. Mm, uh, no, I think maybe Alex is more optimistic about him. I, I, I don't remember being wowed by him in the Premier League. I mean, he's clearly technically capable, but he seemed he seemed like the classic player who, once he gets to this level, to the Arsenal level, would underwhelm us. Hmm. That's a good shout. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I think it's to be honest. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of him, and I don't remember the season he was there. Thinking, wow, this guy is, you know, really impressive. I think that no, no one went in for him, right? But it's just, you know, you, you kind of look at what Villa have done with with players from the Championship coming up, and some of the sort of hunger and fight that he would have over, say, Ericsson, I think would add something. But I don't, I don't think he would be like the signing. I think he could be like. You know, and another sort of player. He'd be an upgrade on Joe Willett. That's that's something. So, if we could loan him, that might be interesting. I'm going to go back to a 28 year old um, because I watched a, a, a goals and assists video, and I noticed that his calf muscles were very similar to that of Jack Grealish. Isco, Isco on loan is rumored. He's uh, uh, think hasn't he been? Uh, He's he's been in he's been enjoying the, the the Real Madrid buffet a bit a bit much. Is, is, is it does that, look a bit porky. <laughs> he, he's, he looks. I think he looks what they used to call prosperous. You know, he's had a he's had a good time of late. I, I think he's a sensational talent. And a few years ago, I just I would have loved him. But going back to Alex's point about hunger, you know, he's he's won a lot of trophies now. He's never totally dominated a team. Is it going to happen at age twenty eight? Uh, given the physical condition, I'm not. I wouldn't be against it, and it would just be exciting as a name, but uh, you'd be quite a way down the list for me. Alex, they call him the magic. Does that worry you that he's a, that it's a bit Ozilish? All the players call him the magic. He's got huge sort of James Rodriguez vibes. Like he would be blinding for five games and then he would just fall off the cliff. I mean, he's li- quite literally, he's hungry, but I don't... <laughs> Hungry for trophies. Can you, can you imagine? Just for us, you know, we're we're all uh, like mid to late thirties here. We're yeah. all worried about our weight. Could you imagine if you were burning six thousand calories a day and you were still fat? Yeah, Could I you imagine I, I, how depressing I, that notion would be. And you've got uh, chefs literally waiting on you, hand and foot, willing to design you a kind of bespoke meal. Mm. Uh, there's no excuse for being out of shape. I don't think. So moving uh, moving on to our favourite Hungarian number eight, Soblaze, Soboslai. Uh, I think. Oh, I mean, I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm, but by the way, I might be getting this completely wrong and long. Wrong no, I think now. you've got it right. Hungarian listeners might pick us up, but I think it's Soboslai. <laughs> it's uh, Soboslai. I, I think this is a no-brainer. I mean, he's more of a, a, a Deli Ali sort of goal-scoring ten than a, than a creative eight. But even if I, he turns out to be a little bit underwhelming. All he has to be is quite useful, quite good. Yeah. And he becomes at least an asset on your financial books because he's only 20 years old. He's going to get better. Um, the, the total sum, I think the release force is 20 million or something. So it's, it's, it's not nothing, but it's losable money. I think this is, a complete, this is the exact type of signing we should go after. And I think it's a shame that I think he's, he's more or less signed up for one of the RB teams, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What um, and talking, but I guess if he does move to uh, Leipzig, that could open up the possibility that um, Sabitzer is available. Uh, played in a better league, has done it at Champions League level. 
Um, what do we think about him as an eight? I don't know him. <laughs> no. Do you know him, John? What the what is he? Is he at Leipzig or is he at? Uh, he's at Salzburg? Leipzig. Okay. Sabitzer. Okay. He's 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 good. He's a he's a he's an interesting player. He's an interesting player to watch. Again, might be a little bit um, out of our price range. Yeah. Um, but. So um, and then finally, um, do you think that we should be making permanent signings in January? Yeah, I mean, if if, if a if a player comes, I mean, we you know we did Aubameyang in a January window, Adebayo was a January window, Walcott was a January window. I'm completely open to doing it, and there might be a lot of business that didn't get done in the summer because of COVID that might get done in January because people are a bit more relaxed with the vaccine come, coming online. And so it could be a reasonably active market. Um, and you know, we just need to change this squad as quickly as possible. So make, make use of each window. I mean, the name you haven't mentioned, of course, is uh, the guy who I think will cost £100 million, but take whoever he signs for to another level. And that is Jack Grealish. I'd love him above any, literally anyone in the world in that position. If you exclude the Messies and people like that, uh, I'd love Grealish. I think he would... Uh, He'd be transformative. Where do you think? Where do you think he's going to go? Because it's well, not think, immediately apparent, is it? Aren't in the Premier talking, League, at least. No, but I think aren't people talking about United? Because they've um, got the resources, and you know, um, they'll just move aside. Uh, they've got you know, players they can sell to generate money, and people people seem to mention United and, and him in the same sentence a lot. Yeah, I mean, would they, would they have to shelve? Jade and Sancho, if they were going to do that. Yeah, quite possibly. But I think that given that we're really sure getting an absolutely proven Premier League talent, uh, it, would, it wouldn't, it, but it has to be a club that can really go big on finances. So that, that gives you United, City, who's also mentioned, maybe Chelsea, um, but Chelsea. sadly not us. No, Chelsea and United are so well stocked. And I mean, what is he like? He's like an eight. 10 is he's not like a, a winger so I well, he, yeah he's either an eight or he can play the left on the front the left side of the front three mm. um so he gives you that and he can be a pure 10 so he's got he's got that ability to play a bunch of different roles in your in your in your attack um but he gives you the goals he gives you the assists he gives you uh running power i mean you saw what he did to us yeah a, a few weeks ago in that long run he did um he's 25 so he's coming into the best five years of his career. Um, he seems to have cleaned up his personal kind of off the field behavior and everything. So I'm Benadorm for him. <laughs> no, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's not. Toro Molinos is no longer his is uh, is home from home. I, I would go for him over literally anyone in Europe in that in that position. But then the the money is prohibitive. I, I would imagine. And I have to ask it. Uh, Meza Özil tweeted that he is ready. <laughs> Would you would you consider bringing him back for one last go? Uh, I I like him. Um, there's no way Arteta can do it without binning his credibility. So he'd be in an Emery situation all over again. So it's more about if you if you're serious about this manager and you want him to remain, you cannot bring Özil back on a purely footballing level. I would bring him back, but if you're attached to this manager, uh, you can't do it. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean. Yeah, I'd still love to know what actually went down and what are the reasons. But I, I think 
I think he's he's done at Arsenal. I think that's why I just think just the sooner he he's out, then that we don't. It's not even a conversation anymore. We can sort of focus on other issues. Right. All right, guys. Well, that that kind of that that kind of wraps it. I mean, just like one more question before we go. Do you think Arteta is going to get out of this rut, this hellish rut going through December? How do how do we see us coming out the back end here, Jana? Uh, I think we definitely will. I mean, party will make a huge difference. And remember, he doesn't need to improve a lot, Arteta. We've lost three games in a row. We've lost one out of every two we've played. He just needs to start drawing quite a few to be materially better than we are right now. So I think by January, things should be better. Alex? Yeah, yeah look, I, I do have concerns about him that I didn't have before, but I still think he, there's enough there for him to sort of make a success of it. I think it will, will get better. And I, I hope he can be sort of a long-term solution for us. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, um, thank you so much um, for, for coming on the show. Uh, uh, Alex, good to have you on. Janin, um, I hope that this is the first of many. It's been brilliant yeah. having you on. Let's do it again. Awesome. Okay. All right. Enjoy the weekend. Good luck in the Spurs derby. If you're listening to this podcast, give us a five-star rating on iTunes because that's the currency that I ask for. Um, and leave any comments if you want. Follow us at Grove, and I will see you next weekend. Good luck to everybody. Streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chrisley Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, it's me, Thomas Enders. Have you listened to my new podcast yet? Modern Talking, Just Different. Now everywhere where you find your podcasts. And it's really true. You won't get closer to me anywhere else recorded in my living room. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Now in your favorite podcast app, Modern Talking, Just Different. We have a date. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Sports Social Podcast Network With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.